0: This has been a week filled with the roller coaster of emotions, and this has been a week that has been filled also with the tragedy of the loss of life for over 200 in Afghanistan, as well as several members of our armed forces, the brave women and men who promised to serve and protect internationally. And so I want to begin today's service and today's message in an unusual place. I want to begin with us having an update on something that I asked you this week over email to pray specifically about. And it's not often that we get to pray and we get to see God's response to prayer so quickly. And in order to do that, I've brought in, I have phoned a friend, and I have brought Sasan Tavasoli to come and to be with us. Sasan, you're a long-standing friend of Peachtree. Will you remind people who maybe you haven't seen in a long time or people that may not know you because they're new to Peachtree. Tell us tell us about your background.
1: Hi, first of all, again, it's an honor to be back in our church. I am one of the missionaries that you've been supporting for many years. I am a missionary with the Outreach Foundation. I am from the country of Iran, born and raised in a Muslim home and came to faith many years ago through the Ministry of American Missionaries. And for the past 15 years, my ministry has been broadcasting satellite TV programs into countries like Iran, Afghanistan, and the Persian speaking world. And I'm also involved in leadership training and developing house church pastors in countries of Iran and Afghanistan. So you guys are one of my biggest supporters and I'm very grateful to be part of the service today.
0: We're honored and you guys should get to see the ministry, the fruit, and the impact of what Sasan gets to do, especially for those fledgling Christian communities in places where they do not enjoy the freedoms and the privileges that we have of being able to practice our religion without hindrance here in the United States. Um, Sasan, there has been um, a contact that you made with us asking for prayer about a family and a group of Christians that you know well, will you
1: tell the congregation uh, about this family and connection that you have in Afghanistan? So there are many Afghan Christians that have been watching our Christian satellite TV programs for many years and they follow and appreciate those teachings. I was contacted by a group of Afghan Christians from Kabul through a friend of mine, a person who is also a student in our Iranian Bible college who now lives in the US, an Afghan believer married to a, a beautiful American gal in our now here in in the area, and he asked if I would actually come and do an online um, class for his family in Kabul. So it was an honor for me to actually have a personal relationship with a group of Afghan Christians in Kabul. And when I first met them online and asked, what are some of the issues you are dealing with? What kind of classes or topics would you like me to address for you? One of the biggest issues that came up in that discussion was their fear of suicide bombers. And many of them said, every morning when we wake up, we don't know if we're going to make it alive through the day or not. And in fact, right after we established this relationship, there were a number of bombings in a girls' school, and a lot of innocent people were killed. So I started doing a series on trauma and how, as Christians, we can deal with trauma. I felt like that was a very relevant lesson. And our last class was about three weeks ago when I talked about the Psalms and trauma, and then Kabul fell to Taliban. Mm. And so these Christians started to make plans to leave the country, but they were stuck in the country.
0: And if I understand it correctly, these Christians were particularly at risk because they had made the brave step of actually switching their status from Muslim to Christian, even formally with the government, so the government even knows them to be Christians, and so they were particularly at risk. And um, when when you shared with us the prayer request, they were desperately trying to get out of the country, and they. Uh, were even at the gate of the airport the very day
1: that the bombing that took place. Yes, so so actually, yeah, just four weeks ago, talking about bad timing, Mm -hmm. four weeks ago, they received their government ID cards that identified them as Christian converts from a Muslim background. And this group of Christians had been staying for four days at the Kabul airport and couldn't get in. BBC ran a news segment talking about Christian converts from Islam that are stuck outside the Kabul gate. Mm -hmm. And actually some of these people told me, "Sasan, our life is in danger now that BBC has announced that Christians are trying to escape. So after four days and not being able to get inside the airport, they gave up hope. They went back home. They were planning to rest and, you know, try to make their way through the border into Pakistan. They left the airport area two hours before the explosion that just happened a couple of uh, days ago.
0: So when Sasan uh, let me know what was happening, I I like to subscribe to the motto of what St. Augustine once said, pray as though everything depends on God and work as though everything depends on you. Four years ago, um, a thing called the Atlanta Friendship Initiative began in pairing African American and Caucasian business leaders um, in Atlanta together to be a part of a partnership. I got paired with uh, then pastor at the time, Raphael Warnock of Ebenezer Baptist Church, who at that time wasn't even running for U.S. Senate. Now Senator Warnock and I, because of that friendship, I had his cell phone number and I'm unashamed to use it on behalf of the gospel. And so I called Senator Warnock and I said, is there anything that you can do to get us in touch with the State Department to help out? Connections were made, Jay, other people at the church got kind of directly involved in helping to make sure with Sasan that they had all the right information. And then when Sasan had let us know about, not only that they had fled the gate, but that the bomb had went off, we had basically heard from the State Department that we're not even sure that we're gonna be able to get out all the Americans. So there was
1: not a lot of hope. And then the next day, And so the next day, Jay and I had a Zoom meeting with my Afghan friend in the US whose family was, you know, we were trying to help. And I said, I hear the Pakistan-Afghanistan border's packed, it's hard to get through, What, what are your family's plans? He said, a miracle happened. A bus came in the middle of the night and picked up our family and another family, total of 18 people in the middle of the night, a bus came, put everybody on the bus, and they are now inside the airport, waiting to get on a plane. He said, it's a miracle. And now we know, it is a miracle.
0: And now we know that they're out of Afghanistan and that they are in route, there will be several stops as you can imagine to the United States, but they are out of Afghanistan and they are going to find their way here. We thought that this was such a God-sized story that we wanted you to hear this directly and from Sasan and with us. And so, Sasan, would you be willing to pray for us as a congregation, for the people of Afghanistan, for this family? And then
1: after I'm done with the message, Pastor Jay is going to talk about next steps for us in partnership and ministry. It will be my honor, but I want to say something. I came across the saying from the Talmud based on the. Old Testament prophet Malachi. And I wanted to read this to you. I really mean this from the bottom of my heart to you as a congregation here at Peachtree. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now, love mercy now, walk humbly now. You're not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. You didn't abandon, you stood with your brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. You prayed, you interceded, you contacted your friends, and I'm very grateful on behalf of Afghan Christians for what Peachtree has done. Let's pray. I came across a simple prayer for Afghanistan. For those who are fleeing, we ask for sanctuary. For those who are staying, we ask for safety. For those who are fighting, we ask for peace. For those whose hearts are breaking, we ask for comfort. For those who see no hope and future, we ask for a hope and future. Father, I lift up our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We are thankful for those who've been able to flee the country to a safe place, and we pray for the protection of that church that is going to face some very difficult times in the coming months. I pray that churches like Peachtree, Father, would move into showing hospitality, love, and generosity to the multitudes of refugees who are coming to our doorsteps. Help us to be Christ to the new neighbors you are bringing into our country. Help us to be instruments of peace and comfort for this new community that is coming to a free land where they can be exposed to the truth of the gospel. And may you even use the tragedies and the chaos of our current time for the building up of your kingdom among the people of Afghanistan. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Can
0: we celebrate God and thank Hassan for being with us? And... I mean, that's enough of a sermon right there. We could almost close in prayer, right? but you're not gonna get off the hook that, that easily. How great is it to see God's power in action? That so often we pray and we ask and we knock on heaven's door and we don't necessarily get to see the fruit and the results of what those intercessions do. And in such a short order and in such a dramatic nature, God has answered our prayers in a remarkable way. In the midst of a series of messages on the book of Acts, when you think about the book of Acts, one of the things that you get to see is God's power in action, and we're getting to witness that. We're talking about God's kingdom coming, the answer to the prayer, that kingdom come, they will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about kingdom witness, that God has given us a job description for us to bear witness to that kingdom coming. And then last week, we talked about God's kingdom spirit, that he has invited God's own presence to dwell and to be with each and every one of us, for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today, we're talking about kingdom power. And in order to introduce that, I want to take you to a place that I had never been before in September of 2015, to a section of London where there is a church that has been exploding called Holy Trinity Brompton, a part of a movement of god's power at work in the world through a ministry that we share here at peachtree that's called alpha our confirmation students do the youth version of alpha as well as we offer the alpha course for adults and we'll give you more information about that in the fall so i am going through this training in this beautiful location and it's a mixed group of people of all different education and levels and people from all over the world and, um, and they asked us the most basic of questions What is the gospel? Well, I have my doctorate in theology. I know how to read the Bible in its original languages. And so, Hermani Granger over here raises my hand and I say, You know, gospel means good news, it's the announcement, it's the declaration of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the person up front, I am expecting to say five points for Peachtree and for that man right there, but that is not what the person said. Said that's the most common answer we get and it's not wholeheartedly wrong, but it is woefully inadequate. And I'm like, excuse me? And he said, do you remember what the thesis of the book of Romans is at the beginning of Romans? And all of a sudden the light bulb is starting to dawn on me that in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, which is the introduction to the whole book, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the what? The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And then he immediately flips to 1 Corinthians 4:20 and says, "For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of what?" But of power. And he talks about how at the beginning of the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit is given to the disciples, that it says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It talks about that you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And all of a sudden, something that is never connected for me, even though I have my doctorate degree and I've been a Christian for decades. That the gospel is not something that you just explain. The gospel is not something that you just proclaim. The gospel is not something that you just declare. It is not simply a matter of intellectual assent to something that might or might not have happened in your opinion, that the gospel is an infusion of God's power. And had I been paying attention in seminary, one of the most common phrases, because for two days a week, I heard Tom Killespie, the president of Princeton Theological Seminary, every time he got up in the pulpit in the chapel of Princeton Theological Seminary say, let the good news come now, O Father, not only in word, but in power. And all of a sudden I realized that there's an entire dimension of the gospel that I have been leaving out. And that yes, it's important to explain. And yes, it's important to declare. And yes, it's important to proclaim. But at its core, the gospel is about power. Acts chapter 3, starting in the first verse. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, and Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said silver or gold I do not have but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk taking him by the right hand he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong and he jumped to his feet and began to walk and then he went with them into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God and when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit big begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Earlier this summer, when I take some of my study leave, I get to read some things that I don't have time to read throughout the course of the year. one of the things that I try to read is some kind of some novels and some big thick books that I don't have time to dive into when it's so busy throughout the program year. And one of the novels that I've had on my nightstand for a while that I haven't gotten to read was the Pulitzer Prize-winning book from 2019. It's called The Overstory. It's this epic novel over 500 pages long, and it's a view of life kind of through the prism of five different trees. And the story starts out with an immigrant family in Brooklyn in the 19th century They grab a bunch of chestnuts and put them into their pockets and take them with them when they actually go further west into Iowa and they plant them into the ground and they grow a grove of six chestnut trees and five of the six chestnut trees dies. And there's one chestnut tree that remains, that's magnificent, that's a sentinel. And for some strange reason, Around the turn of the 20th century, one of the relatives of those who had planted this tree, on the 21st of every month, took out a camera and took a picture. Rain, shine, snow, it didn't matter, but a picture every single month. Throughout the years and the generations, that tradition was passed down until that stack of pictures was over 500 tall. And one of those relatives on a lark one time took that stack and began to thumb through it. And what happened at a time when you really didn't have motion picture was you got to watch this tree come to life. In a series of kind of time-lapse video, you saw something that you wouldn't normally get to see because of the passage of time. When I think about God's power, most of the time we don't get to see God's power because we do not have the eternal patience nor perspective of getting to see the nature in which God's power is in motion. And what I love about the book of Acts in general, but Acts chapter 3 in particular, is that it is a little flip-through time-lapse video of God's power in motion of the gospel at work that, yes, Peter proclaims and he preaches when he's given the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't stop there. And the first thing that we get to see of God's power in motion is we get to see Peter and John doing something that seems so basic that you might have missed it, that they go to the temple to pray. Let's look at verse one. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Both Kelly's mother and my mother spent the decades of their careers working in churches as children's Christian educators. And when you think about the number of children and the number of Sunday school lessons and the number of kind of children's sermons that they have given, it would be amazing to think about all the different seeds that have been planted. And I love one of the children's sermons that Kelly's mother was fond of doing. She would sit at the front of the church and all the children would come to her and she would have 167 Cheerios that she was stringing all onto a string. And she would have one fruit loop. And she would ask the kids and the congregation of different things that we do that fill up our time. She would talk about all the time that we sleep. She would talk about all the time that we're at school. All the time that we're doing homework. All the time that we have to do our chores. All the time that we get to play. All of those different things. And seeing how all of those hours, because you have 168 hours in your week. And then she holds up that fruit loop. And every child wants to eat it. And she holds up that fruit loop. And she says, and God asks that you set aside one hour to come to church, to pray together. Doesn't mean it's the only time you pray. Doesn't mean the only time you read your Bible. Doesn't mean it's the only thing that you do for God. But there's this one invitation and you see that one fruit loop on the string with all of those different Cheerios and all of our excuses about not going to church start to melt away. Do not miss the fact that if you have a desire to see God's power in motion, that one of the most basic things that you need to do is to be in the habit and the rhythm of praying. You don't think for a minute our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan in Christ take for granted the freedom and the privilege we have to worship, and it is something that we take for granted and can very easy get complacent about. God's power in motion begins when His people gather to pray, and that praying leads to being able to see differently. Did you notice in today's story that there is a very interesting interchange? Let's look at verses 4 and 5. Peter looks straight at this beggar. What do you and I have a tendency to do when we see someone who's begging? Look away. Peter looks straight at him, as did John, and then Peter says, look at us. Here's the interesting thing. When somebody is begging, you try to avert your attention. So do I. And when someone who is often begging, they're not really looking at you, they're looking for something that you can give. But one of the things that genuine prayer starts to change is that you start to see with the eyes of faith. And you will see differently. And so will others. There's an artist by the name of Marina Abramovic, and She did a very unusual exhibit and gallery at the MoMA in New York City in 2010. The title of the exhibit was, The Artist is Present. And what she did, instead of displaying art, is that she said she herself, as the artist, was willing to be present with anybody who wanted to come. And so for 79 days, And for over 1,500 people, she sat in silence and gave the person in front of her her undistracted, undying attention. People waited for days. They scalped tickets. And when they sat down, many of them wept because they've longed for somebody just to truly pay attention to them. Praying leads to seeing, and seeing leads to admitting. Peter starts by saying to this man, Silver and gold, I do not have. One of the things that's taken me a while to learn in life, in leadership, in marriage, in family, is that your strength and your power does not come from what you have, but your willingness to admit What you don't have. You and I are the kind of people that like to fix things, and we have to start first with our woundedness, our brokenness, our limitations, and our inability to do things. One of the most important mistakes that pastors make is that we don't fix the things that we should, and we try to fix the things that we can't. And I have seen many of my colleagues inflict great harm on people spiritually because they have tried to fix or to do things that they never should have tried to do because of their limitations. The gospel teaches us these words, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. God's power works through you at its greatness when you are willing to admit that it is not by your might, by your strength, by your power, but by His. And I'm imagining that there's a dimension of your family life, your marriage, your workplace, your experience with friends that is being hampered by the fact that you don't pray and you don't see, but also that you don't admit your vulnerability and your limitations. And then God's power flips through in motion after we're willing to admit by giving and healing. The reason I put two words up here is because our action is, how we participated is usually in giving, and what God tends to do is that He's the one who provides healing. We see this in the story of today, and so look at verses 6 and 7 with me when it says, but what I do have, Peter says, I give to you. So he admits what he doesn't have, and then what he does have, he's willing to give. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, and he takes him by the right hand, and he helps him up. When I was a pastor in San Antonio, Texas, there was a family who had decided that they were going to move to Uganda in order to help to do mission work there. This was a multi there were three generations in our church of this family. And here were these peers of ours who were uprooting their life, and they were taking their kids, their five kids, and they were moving to Uganda. And let's just say that the grandparents weren't super pleased about the grandkids, probably didn't care about the kids, but the grandkids moving all the way to Africa. But it wasn't their decision, and they decided to move. And the grandparents said that they would come and visit. Well, they came and they visited and the grandfather, while he was there, he became sick and it turned out that he had one of the rare forms of malaria that's almost intreatable. And so he was in a United States hospital and I visited multiple times. And throughout the course of about a 10 day period of him being in the ICU, every major organ of his body shut down at one time or another. They were fighting to keep him alive. The doctor kept telling the family to prepare for what was inevitable. And we kept holding vigil in that hospital room and kept praying. And one day, by God's grace, he made it. Full recovery. And the doctor was so surprised, he looked right at us and said, I am going to have to rethink what I believe because he was an atheist. I am going to have to rethink what I believe because of what I have seen happen on this day. We cannot engineer it, we cannot explain it, we cannot manipulate it, we cannot make it happen, but we give and we give, and God is the one who heals. And so we start by praying, which helps us to see, and when we see, we begin to admit, and when we admit, we start to give, and then God heals, and then there is leaping. This is the least Presbyterian of the five points of this sermon. But did you notice how descriptive the story is? That this man jumps to his feet, he begins to walk, and then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Little-known fact about your senior pastor, when I was in college, One of my extracurricular activities is that I was on a ballroom and country western performance dance troupe that nationally competed, have been on national TV. You don't believe me, so I'm gonna show you some pictures. Here I am in costume with one of my dance partners, Jan Court, and here's another picture of us at the Miss Texas pageant, dancing to Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy of Company B. And so there's a part of my college experience that I try to hide from you because I'm not a Baptist. There's a part of my college experience that is that of this dancing. And for me, dancing was a lot of fun. But for a guy who was also on our dance troupe, it was more than fun. It was a lifesaver. I noticed, and I'm not going to give you his name, I noticed that he came to every rehearsal, every event. He became a TA. He, he did everything he possibly could to dance as much as possible. And I didn't know him before he was on the dance troupe. And I said, man, you're obsessed. You're here all the time. And he said, yep. He said, you're, you didn't know me before I started dancing. But before I started dancing, I was obsessed with drugs and alcohol and that dancing literally saved my life. All it took was an invitation from a girl he didn't know to start to move, to start to jump, to start to dance. And once he was invited into that dance, all the drugs and the alcohol, they fell away. One of the things that you and I forget is that what we are invited to is God's power in motion in the world, and that the ancient theologians used to describe the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as perichoresis, or as a dance. God is dancing in this world, and He invites us to join Him, and it is not just to make your life a little better. It is a matter of life and death, of rescue, of God's work being restored today. We have been given an unbelievable case study this week of God's power in motion. And so when you think about these five things and the way that you as a congregation have mobilized, that when asked, you started to pray. And then when you start to pray, something that's happening in the media is no longer just a media event for you, something that you might complain about or lament about. It is something that you might actually start to see differently because you see faces and you see lives and you see people. And then once you do that, you and I are able to admit that we know that we are not in control, that we are not in charge and that we are limited and that we have to cast our cares before God. And when we do that, we will start to give, and God tends to reveal himself and heal in the world, and that will lead to leaping. Do you think that there is a company of church right now that is in Qatar, on their way to Germany, on their way probably to Oklahoma City to begin with, that they're leaping for joy because of what God has done for them? My friends, the Gospel is not just an explanation, it's power. And I want to invite you to experience the time-lapse video of God's power at work in your life and in mine. So let's pray. Thank you, God, for revealing something that is often so invisible to us that we now get to see in full bloom because of your work in the world. Lord, forgive us for not stopping to pray or failing to see or feeling like that we have to have it all together and are too strong to admit our limitations and our weakness. God, maybe we hold back and don't give, and yet when we start to participate and see these things that work in around us, we will discover the gospel is so much more than a story or the reality of something you have done a long time ago, that you are still doing that right here and now. We thank you, God, that you have given us a new opportunity and a new hope. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.